This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Well, how's everyone doing today? Doing all right? I'm, I'm excited. Like we said, this is going to be our first time in the building to celebrate Easter, so that's pretty cool. I'm excited for that. And for those of you joining us online, we'll still be with you in that way. And so this is going to be a great time. We're going to spend the next few weeks actually working our way toward and after and around Easter. So I'm excited about that. The cool thing about Easter is that's the events where God showed off like no one's business. Where God was like, you, have no, you don't have a clue what I'm about to do. Like God promised us from the very beginning story that he was going to rescue us. And no one fully understood how until Jesus showed up. And then they killed him. And he said, is that all you got? <laughs> and then he rose in power so we could have hope and a life in him. And it's an amazing thing. And you, and you realize when you see the story of Easter that like God's thoughts are bigger than ours. God's ways are greater than ours. And God has dreams for our lives that we can barely begin to see and it always causes me to ask this question. So wrestle with this question with me. First of all, I want to assume something. Do you have dreams for your life? Do you have hopes for your life? Yes, okay. Who do you think has greater dreams for your life? You or God? God. Yeah, like I, I would be like, you know, maybe you don't know if God exists or not, and that's cool, and you're kind of on that journey, but let's just assume that God exists and God is awesome and big and for you. I think he may have greater dreams for your life in the same way that I would have greater dreams for my daughter when she was two years old. Like, her greatest dream was, what's the next snack? And my great dream is, like, how are you going to change the world, right? Like, that sort of a thing. And, and, and so, like, yeah, so often in my life and in my journey, I forget that. And I get so caught up in what my dreams are. And sometimes those are good moments until those dreams don't pan out, right? And then I'm kind of standing there going, what the heck is going on? I'm like, God, why aren't you showing up in my story? How come you're not signing off on my life the way I wanted it to go? Man, 1999 was a moment like that for me. That, was it. that wasn't because of Y2K. That, that, was, that was just a fear that didn't happen. Remember that? Yeah. The old, remember that? Yeah. But 1999, I was getting ready to step into the rest of my life. So I'm, fa- I'm wrapping up my formal school training, and, and I'm going to become an adult, whatever that would mean, and and I had dreams for my life, these great expectations for my life in that year. And, and I had three. I had the dream of a place where I would live and serve. I had the dream of a girl with whom I would share my life. And I had the dream of a calling on my life, what God had called me. Like I had a sense that God was calling me to do this pastor thing. And I didn't have a clue what it was, but I was excited. And, and as I began to walk into that year, I watched as each of those dreams just disappeared. And so the dream of a place was this church that I'd been in since I was a teenager. I'd been there for 10 years. And, and I, during my schooling, I'd, I'd worked there for five years as an intern. And my hope and dream was this was the place where I could serve. And yet when it was time to have that need to, of a place to be, there was just, there was no room for me there. And they're like, hey, we really like you. We just, we don't have anything for you. And I realized that, that whatever my future held, it wasn't going to be in that place. And, and then this girl that I had been in like with for the longest time, and I was just playing that faithful friend role, just waiting for the day where she said, like a Disney movie, and she's suddenly like, you've been there my whole life. And I'm like, here I am. All right, like, <laughs> life is not a Disney movie, is it? And I remember when it was time to let her know how I felt, and I just said, like, hey, I really like you. And she's like, oh, I like you too. And I'm like, no, 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 no. But I mean, I, I, I like you, like you. And, 
And I just realized it wasn't going well. And she's like, I think of you the way I think of my brother. And <laughs> we're not in Arkansas, so I know that's not a good sign. <laughs> if you're in Arkansas watching this, we love you. Uh, and it was just like, oh, like devastation. And, and then I, so I needed to find a place to go and serve. And so a, a guy I'd worked with over my time and said, like, hey, there's this church that I was a part of in the central coast of California, and they're looking for a youth pastor. And like, Joel, you would be awesome for it. They're going to love you. And so I remember I drove up and I interviewed, and it was a great, great weekend. And so that next week, I'm just waiting for them to call. And so then the pastor of that church calls, and, and he's like, hey, we like you. <laughs> like a brother. <laughs> And I realized, like, it's a no-go. And suddenly, every dream I had for my life in that year was done. And I'm, I'm rolling halfway through that year, and I'm just standing there, like, God, I don't understand this. Like, God, what are you doing? Like, I had these great expectations for my life. Where are you? Why are you not showing up in my story the way I want to see it happen? And what I didn't know, what I couldn't see in that moment was that God did have dreams for my life. But in my hurt and my confusion and my frustration, it was hard to grab hold of that. The hope of something greater. What do you do in those moments? Because I don't think it's just me. Is it just me? No, what do you do in those moments when... When what we are expecting, what we're longing for God to do, doesn't seem to be working out the way we wanted, what do we do when it doesn't happen the way we were hoping? See, today we're going to walk with Jesus towards Easter as we head into this time, this this season that we celebrate his victory in our lives. And today we're going to see Jesus approaching this moment where he knows what's about to happen and And he's going to be rolling into Jerusalem, and the crowds are going to be so excited because guess what? We're not the only ones who had great expectations of what we wanted from Jesus, only to see that what he was up to was totally different. And so I want to jump into the story that we have in in one of the accounts of the life of Jesus. And Mark's account, one of his first followers, tells us the story of Jesus approaching the holy city of Jerusalem near the end of his life as the stories are told about him. And so this is what we see taking place. And I I want us to lean in together and try to imagine ourselves in that space. We've heard the stories of Jesus. Maybe we've gone and seen him speak and and he said incredible words. And and we've heard the stories and the rumors of the things that he's done. And we know that he's shaken things up. And it's as if maybe he's bringing the hope of this expectation we had. If we're Jews in the first century, we're living under oppression. Rome is fierce. And our hope is that God is going to send a Messiah to rescue us. And maybe it's this guy. And so this is what we read, that as Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. And so they're approaching Jerusalem, which is like the holy city. It's the capital of all capitals. It's the the epicenter of all the culture and life of first century Jews. And here's Jesus as a Jew coming to celebrate this epic moment with them. And and they're going to be celebrating Passover, which is like the ultimate holiday if you're a Jew because it's this celebration of God rescuing your people in the past. So if you know the story of, of Egypt and the oppression and God rescuing them out of Egypt, that, that's the Passover that they're celebrating. And it was looking in the past at God's faithfulness of bringing rescue with this expectation of hope that one day God will ultimately bring rescue and restoration through this promised one, the one they would call a Messiah, a Savior. And so they're approaching the city and 
Jesus sent two of them, two of his followers on ahead. And he said, go into that village over there, he told them. As soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs it and we'll return it soon. I love, I love that. Like, what? Jesus, you want us to go steal somebody's donkey. And if they're asking, or, and, and, and like, I just like, can you imagine trying that today? Like, you just see somebody leaving their keys in the car and like, dude, don't worry. The Lord needs it. I'll bring it back. Like, how is that going to go? But somehow, Jesus is like, don't worry. I got this. And so, and they, they believe him enough to do it. And so the two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street, tied outside the front door. And as they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, what are you doing untying that colt? I would have just ran. <laughs> and they said what Jesus had told them to say. And they were permitted to take it. And it, there's just always something he's up to that just doesn't seem like everyone grasps, right? I mean, here's just a small example of it. And so then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. And I, I love this because he's now going to ride this animal into the holy city. And so look what happens. Many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and their, ahead of him, and others spread leafy branches they had cut in the fields. And Jesus was in the center of the procession. And so this is why we call this day in our calendar Palm Sunday. Because as Jesus is riding in the city, the crowds are getting super excited. And there's this buzz like, who is, like Jesus is coming into the city. And so they're taking their garments and they're throwing them on the ground. They're like making the red carpet for him. They're putting the palm branches down, which is like the symbol of, of a coming king. And see, they have these expectations of him because they believe in this moment an ancient prophecy is being fulfilled. That the promise of God's rescue is coming. See, one of their ancient prophecies, this guy was promising that God would one day move. And so this is what we read, Zechariah 9.9, these words that say, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. And he is righteous and victorious. Yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. So can you just imagine, like this is eggs and butter to the next level. Right, this is like a one-man parade, and they are so excited in this moment. Because here comes Jesus, and they're like, the king is coming. Our rescuer, the one who's going to fix all of our problems. And so they spread them out, and Jesus was in the center of the procession. And the people were all around him shouting. And see, Jesus understands exactly what they're thinking in this moment. He understands that there's this great expectation of what is taking place. Because for them, they have this hope that here comes their promised rescuer. Here comes the one who's going to restore their ancient political kingdom. Here's, gonna, here's the one who's going to come and he's going to overthrow Rome. And they're going to get back on the map. And they're going to be a free people once again. They're so excited for this because they've been living under oppression for generations and generations. The Babylonians and the Persians wiped them out as a people. And then Rome came over and wiped out their oppressors. And so now they're trying to figure out how do we do life together? How do we follow after this one that we would call Savior? Where's our hope? Maybe it's just Jesus walking into town today. And so as the crowds were there, they were shouting. The people were all around him and they were shouting. And this is what they were saying. Praise God. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Praise God in highest heaven. And can you just imagine the buzz in this moment? The excitement of what's going on as they're crying out. Praise God. Here's our coming king. There's so much hope. There's so much expectation of what's going to happen. 
And, and these words that we translate into our English, praise God, they're words that we sang earlier in our service. It's this word that they would have said in their ancient language, Hosanna. Hosanna. They're crying this word out as Jesus comes riding into town. Hosanna, Hosanna. Here's our coming king. Hosanna, Hosanna. And it's this really beautiful word. It's this ancient word. This word that would be reserved of the one that they believed would be their rescuer, the one who would come to restore them. And it's almost like it's a noun and it's a verb. And the word basically means this, Savior, save us. And as he's riding into town, all their hopes and all their dreams are on this person that they've heard the stories about. And they're just crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, would you save us? Here he comes, the one that will solve all, the, all of our problems, who will rescue us and redeem us. It's this word that they were crying out because it was a declaration of who they believed Jesus was and what they believed he was going to do. And so they're crying out to him once again, Jesus, Savior, save us. Praise God, Hosanna. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Praise God in highest heaven. Can you just feel it if you were there? The roar, the excitement. Let me ask, have you ever had expectations like this? Like wherever you're at on a journey of faith, have you ever, like if there's a God at work in this world, if Jesus can do anything in my life, have you ever had expectations like this of him? Like, Jesus, can you restore the things that are broken in my life? Jesus, can you fix the relationships that are struggling? Can you get me out of the mess I've made of my life? Can you do something in my life? Maybe you've never prayed the word Hosanna, but let me tell you, I've cried out, Jesus, help me. Jesus, fix this. Jesus, make my life better. And this is exactly what they're doing in this moment. Because for all these people, they're cheering and celebrating Jesus' arrival into the city. Hosanna, Savior, save us. Because they had great expectations of what they thought he would do for them. Because in this moment, they think that their promised king is going to come and rescue them from Rome. Like the expectation is that he's going to ride in. There's going to be this rally cry. He's going to now overthrow the oppressive Roman rule and set up a kingdom. And they're going to be back on the map once again. He's going to lead an uprising, kick out their oppressors, and they'll be free people once more. Except he doesn't do any of that. He doesn't live up to the hype. He doesn't live up to the expectation. Because what's going to happen in the next week is going to get crazy. Like, if you read the stories of his life, you look at what happens after this moment, and things take a dark turn fairly fast. Like, Jesus is going to begin to tangle with the religious establishment. Like, there was some animosity that was there already. If you read the story, like, they were threatened. Like, the Jewish religious rulers were threatened by him because he wasn't marching to the beat of their drum. And so there's this growing animosity. And instead of riding up to Pilate's house, the Roman governor, and kicking him out, Jesus actually goes to the temple, one of the first things he does after this moment. And he looks around and he sees the mess that they've made of this, this place that was supposed to be sacred and holy where God was going to meet with their people but create opportunity for all people to come to him. And Jesus shows up to the temple and he clears house. Like he's throwing out the money changers and all the things that they had done to make the temple corrupt and he cries out, this is my father's house. You've turned it into a den of thieves. And that doesn't go over well. And so the religious establishment begins to hatch a plan to end him. 
And they will conspire with one of his closest followers who will ultimately betray him with a kiss on the cheek. And instead of overthrowing Rome, Jesus gets himself in trouble over the course of that week, gets arrested by the ruling class of religious leaders who who mock him and beat him and then hand him over to Rome where he's suddenly now put on trial as a criminal. And this crowd that's crying out Hosanna at the beginning of the week is going to be crying something very different in a few short days. Because as Jesus is on trial, he's not doing what they wanted. You're supposed to overthrow Rome, not become under the power of Rome. And we see this as the story unfolds. If you jump forward a little bit to Mark 15, Jesus is on trial. And the, and the Roman governor, Pilate, he's somewhat confused by what's going on because he's like trying to figure out, Jesus, what have you done? And if you read in all the Gospels, he's having like these long conversations with Jesus. And Pilate's like, I, I, dude, you didn't do anything. I don't know what's going on. And yet he's stuck because the crowd is upset with him at this point. And he's got to keep the peace because if it doesn't go well with him, Rome won't be happy with him. You know how everyone answers to someone? So Pilate's in charge, but he's not in charge. He's just trying to, like, keep his job secure. And so he's torn, and yet there's this custom that they have during the Passover in order to appease the people. Pilate can release a prisoner, anyone the people want. And you think, man, this is our chance to get Jesus back. But look what happens. Now, it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner, anyone the people requested. And one of the prisoners at that time was Barabbas, a revolutionary who had committed murder in an uprising. So this is a bad dude who had done bad things. And he's in the scene too. And so the crowd went to Pilate and asked him to release a prisoner as usual. And so he says, would you like me to release to you this king of the Jews, meaning Jesus? Pilate said, and look at the little note, for he realized by now that the leading priests had arrested Jesus out of envy. Like Pilate knows this is just a sham. Like, Jesus hasn't done anything. And so he's, like, doing everything in his power to get Jesus off the hook. But at this point, the leading priest stirred up the crowd to demand the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. So Pilate asked them, then what should I do with this man you call the king of Jews? And they shouted back, Hosanna! No, not at all. They shouted back, crucify him. Why, Pilate demanded, what crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, crucify him. So to pacify the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. And I'm like reading the story, and I'm like, what happened? Like, how, how did they go from Hosanna, Savior, save us, to a few short days later crying out, crucify him? And it's because Jesus didn't live up to their expectations of him. To what they wanted him to do, the way they thought it was supposed to happen, the way they thought it was supposed to go down. So what do you do? When Jesus doesn't live up to your expectations of him. Because we've all been there, right? What do you do? I mean, have you ever done what they did? I mean, have you ever been praising him on Sunday and crying foul against him by Friday? I have. 
because it's so easy for me to lose sight of the fact that maybe, just maybe, you're up to something bigger than what I realize. In those moments when it seems like you're failing me, when in those moments when it seems like you're not living up to what I've done, is it possible that Jesus is up to something bigger than my expectations of him? Is it possible that he's on the move? See, if we're not careful, we'll actually miss out on what Jesus is up to in the story. If we give up on him when it's not going the way we want it. See, because what no one could have realized in this moment was that Jesus had come to rescue them and restore them, but on a much greater scale than anyone could have thought or imagined than what anyone could have dreamed of. Because Jesus didn't simply come to rescue them from the oppression of Rome. He actually came to rescue all of us from the oppression of this broken and dark world where there's so much hurt and pain and confusion. And Jesus came into the story to give us the hope of a new life in him. And yet here they are missing this moment. See, the cross... The cross was not an accident. The cross was not a failure of a a Messiah that couldn't figure it out. The cross was a premeditated act of love by Jesus on our behalf. Because it's on the cross that Jesus did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Because this is a dark world we live in, isn't it? I mean, there's beauty and there's goodness all around us, but if the last two years have shown us anything, there's a lot of darkness and ugliness in our world. And I don't know about you, but over the last two years, there's times where I'm like, we need, a, we need help. <laughs> we need a Savior. We need someone to come into the story and help us. And it's really easy to look at everyone else and saying, yeah, those people need help. But if I'm going to get real honest about my story, guess what I know I need about? I need help. How about you? Because there's oppression in my life. And it's not simply because of what others have done to me, though that's part of the hurt in my story. But there's oppression in my life because of the choices I have made in my life. To live selfishly, to put me first, to hurt other people, to do things that, that bring brokenness into this world. Like, I'm, I'm as much of a culprit as I am a victim. And I don't always know what to do with that. And yet the amazing thing is that God knows what to do with that. Because when God sees us in the mess and brokenness, he says, I have a plan for you. I will make a way for you. I will send a savior into this world who will find you as you are and call you into hope of something better. Because when Jesus goes to that cross, he takes upon himself all of our mess and our brokenness. When he goes to the cross, he dies a death that we don't have to die anymore. So you go to the beginning story when God created us and breathed his life into us and and released us into this world to enjoy it. He said, enjoy this world. There's one thing that's not for you. Don't chase after this one thing because when you do, you'll actually experience death because when you turn from me, when we turn from God who is the source of life, it doesn't matter what direction we're going. When we're turning away from God, we're turning away from life and that's always to run towards death. And when we don't live up to what we were meant to be. We change our destiny from people walking in light and love and life to people walking towards death. And Jesus came into this world to find us in this mess and to say, I will take that death from you so that you can have the hope of new life in me. And then the amazing thing is that 
after this moment that we're going to see, next week we're celebrating that death wasn't the end of the story. I mean, this is amazing. Here's Jesus. I love you so much. I will take the consequence of the brokenness of your life so that in me you can have the hope of something better. And then I'm going to kick death's butt. I'm going to defeat death itself so that you can have the hope of a new life in me. And this is the life that he now invites us into as we, we begin to discover who he is. We encounter him. See, they wanted him to overthrow Rome. And he's like, I've come to overthrow all of the darkness and brokenness in this life. I've come to set you free. And they were missing it in this moment because their expectations were too small for what Jesus had come to do. And every single person who encountered him on the other side of the cross, on the other side of that first Easter, suddenly began to realize, oh, this is bigger than any of us thought. You've actually come to not rescue us for a moment. You've come to rescue us for all of eternity. To give us the hope of new life in you. That this was not about some national political moment in history. This was about changing the course of the human race for eternity. When we find our hope in who you are, Jesus. That you've come to do a work in us. So what do we do in those moments where it just doesn't seem in the right here, right now, that Jesus is doing what I want? Where it doesn't seem that Jesus is living up to our expectations of what he's doing? Like, how do we not miss out on the bigger story that's at play, at the greater thing he wants to do in us and through us? How do we hold on to that hope? Because let me tell you, it's really easy in our hurt and our confusion to cry foul, isn't it? It's really easy to go from Hosanna to forget you, crucify him in a short week. I've been there. I've wrestled with that. I've struggled with that. How do we not make that mistake? Because we can, in our hurt and confusion, cry foul. Or we can choose to slow down for a moment. To step back and consider the possibility that maybe, just maybe, he's up to something bigger in the story. He's up to something greater in our lives. Something bigger than we can see right now. See, when Jesus doesn't live up to our expectations, we can step back. Or we can lean in. We can lean in and say, okay, so what are you up to? Because here's the life I was looking for. Here's the hope and expectations that I had. But Jesus, maybe, just maybe, you're up to something different in my story. Maybe you're up to something greater than I, I could have thought or imagined. And that's the beautiful thing when we really reflect on Easter is that God was up to an epic story and people were looking for a small one. So maybe I make that same mistake in my own journey, in my own life. And that part of living a life of faith is trusting him that he's up to something greater than we can see. Because sometimes I think we, we think that living a life of faith is always about feeling good in the moment. That's not true. There will be times when living a life of faith won't feel good. It's not about how I'm feeling in the moment. It's about what I'm believing beyond the moment. Like, God, what are you doing? Do I really believe that even though it hurts right now, even though it doesn't make sense right now, 
even though it seems like it's all falling apart right now, that maybe you're up to something greater than I could see. And will I surrender my right now expectation in the hope of something greater that you have for me? And so there I am halfway through 1999. And it's just over. I feel like my life is over. Every dream that I had, gone within four or five months' time. And I remember at that time talking to one of my friends, my buddy Andy, who, who I'd known because we'd worked together at that same church in, in Whittier, in L.A. area where we, we had lived. And he had moved down to San Diego years before. And so I just was talking to him one day. And, and we're just on the phone. And I'm like, dude, I, I, don't, I, just, I feel like God's done with me. And he's like, don't be stupid. Sometimes you just need a friend who <laughs> will just speak to you. He's like, if God was done with you, you wouldn't be talking to me right now. And then he said, what are you doing right now? And I'm like, I'm talking to you, complaining about my life. And he's like, let's meet at Starbucks. And I'm like, you're in San Diego. And he's like, I'm going to drive up to Orange County, meet me. Let's go, let's talk face-to-face right now. That's a friend. So I remember we're sitting at Starbucks talking. And I just said, like, Andy, I just, there, there's just there's nothing for me anymore. He's like, well, Joe, why don't you just move down to San Diego? You can live with me. I, I've been at this amazing church for a few years. Like, I, I, I don't have a job for you, but you can help out with the middle school students. And, you know, we'll, we'll find a job, and let's just see what God's up to. And I'm like, Andy, are you, are you kidding me right now? Like, I just graduated from school. I've got a mountain of debt. I don't have any relational prospects on the horizon. I have the hope of a calling, and you're saying, move down, bum on your couch, and maybe you have something for me in the future. And I remember he just leaned across and looked at me, and he said, Joel, either you're going to trust God with your future or you're not. And in that moment, I both hated and loved my friend. (laughs) And so I said, okay. It's amazing how sometimes God has to bring us to the end of ourselves before we're really really willing to let him lead us into the future he has for us. I remember the day of my move came, and I'm putting all my stuff in the car. My parents are there to see me up, and my mom's like, Joel, aren't you so excited? Aren't you excited about this? And I just looked at my mom and go, Mom, I feel like crap right now. I think I'm moving to San Diego to fail so I can come and live with you and Dad for the rest of my life. That's what it feels like. <laughs> Great faith, right? <laughs> Again, faith isn't always about what you feel. It's about what you believe. All right, God, I'm going to follow. This seems like the path you have for me. And so I remember I moved down to San Diego. And by the end of 1999, every dream that was taken was suddenly given back to me, but on God's terms. Because it was there at that church where I suddenly found a new home. It was there at that church where this calling on my life suddenly found a place to exist. It was there at that church I met Christy. Yeah, yay. (laughs) (laughs) And it would have been so easy to just say, forget you, God, and walk away. When God was up to something bigger. And here's the thing about Easter that we need to hold on to, not just at Easter. If Easter shows us anything, it's that God is always up to something greater than we could ever imagine. If we will walk with him through the darkness, 
so we get to rise up with him into the light of a new life. And so as we're running towards Easter, friends, this is our day that's coming of celebration of God's victory, and his victory is our victory. But oftentimes we have to surrender how we want life to be today so we can step into the future he has for us. And so I, I just, I wonder this for you right now. What are you wrestling with? Where are your expectations of him not being met? And you're just wondering if maybe he's failed you or he's forgotten you today. And, and I just want to ask you to say, Jesus, I, I trust you still. That maybe today the greatest thing you can do, the step of faith that you can take today is to say, okay, here, here they are, Jesus. All my dreams, all my hopes, all my expectations, I just want to give them to you. I just want to surrender them to you in this moment. And trust that you have a life for me beyond this. A life for me that's greater than this. That you're going to do something in my story. Because if you defeated the grave for me, I think you can handle this. And so let's take a breath right now together. And I just want to invite you to adopt a posture of surrender in this place. And if, as we're talking, as you can just grab onto whatever those might be, the disillusionment, the, the confusion, the hurt, I just want to invite you to imagine that you're holding them in your hands. And you're inviting him to come and give you the hope of a greater dream right now. You're inviting him to come and to take all of that so that he can give you something greater. It's amazing how often in the Christian journey that we have to live with paradox. The path to freedom is often found in surrender. And yet surrender sounds like defeat, but not when you're surrendering to Jesus. Because when we surrender to Jesus, that's the path of life. So take a breath right now. And invite him to awaken the hope of something new in you. I love how Paul puts this in Ephesians 3. He's just done this epic declaration of God's victory in his life. Paul, whose dreams were dashed and then reawakened when Jesus called him into life with him. Paul writes these words, Ephesians 3. He says, when I think of all this, all that he has done, his victory, his goodness, his love, his life in my life. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. And I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. And your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. And may you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. 
now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever amen friends that's called Hosanna that's called God I believe you are still at work in my story. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.